Yeah, I think growing up, I just thought it was normal to eat the quantity of bagels that my family and Jewish friends ate. And then I really realized that, no, it's it's not. Like, you should be eating a lot less bagels than, than an, an, a Jewish individual does. Welcome to season three of Home Plates. I'm your host, Dee Madigan. To kick season three off, I'm joined in the studio by Danielle and Nicole, who are going to talk all about Passover and Jewish food and culture. Be sure not to miss any new episode of season three. There are some great episodes coming your way, so subscribe. We are on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Stay tuned. You are listening to Home Plates. Welcome to another episode of Home Plates. Here with me today, I have Danielle and Nicole to talk to me all about Jewish food. And in light of Passover, fastly approaching, we're going to talk about Passover specifically, but also Jewish cuisine in general. Uh, Danielle, Nicole, you want to introduce yourselves a little bit? Uh, tell us, you know, your relation to the Jewish culture and stuff. And yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Um, I'm Nicole. I am a sophomore at UW. I have always been, I grew up Jewish. <laughs> it was always important to me. I went to Jewish day school from preschool all the way up until 12th grade. And when I came to UW, I definitely wanted to keep my both cultural and religious connection to Judaism. So I'm very involved in Hillel. I go to Shabbat every week there where we celebrate the end of the week. Jewish food has always been in my life. It's just a part of all the food I eat. And hi, I'm Danielle. Uh, similarly, I grew up Jewish, conservatively Jewish, which is like the, there's Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox Judaism, so those are kind of like the sects. And I grew up con in a conservative synagogue where it was really, really important to celebrate Shabbat um, at the end of every week, and food was always a really big part of that. And I also continue my Jewishness on campus here. <laughs> Uh, and the food is a very big part of that. Great. Did you guys grow up around here, or...? I'm from L.A. Okay. So and I'm from the Bay Area. Oh, okay, so... More Jewish places yes. than <laughs> Seattle. <laughs> okay. Do you guys want to... Should we talk about Passover first, or just general, like, Jewish cuisine first? Passover is great. Um, <laughs> so it's both of our favorite holidays. Um, it's around this time in, in April. And Passover is pretty much the celebration of life and all the, how the Israelites got out of Egypt, out of control of Pharaoh and being slaves. So we've just reached the other side and we're free for the first time in a long time. <laughs> and the way we celebrate that is through Passover. We have a really big meal called the Seder where there's all these different foods that symbolize the different elements of this exodus to freedom. And... I would say food is actually the most important, or Passover is the holiday in which food is the most important um, of most of the Jewish holidays. Uh, we can't have leavened bread during Passover because of the how the Jews hastily left Egypt to go to the Holy Land, and they hypothetically their dough didn't rise, so they had flat bread for their journey. And because of that, 
Jews don't eat leavened bread religiously on the seven days of Passover. And then in the Seder, there's a Seder plate, and there are a bunch of different food items that each represent a different part of the Jews' journey and their time in Egypt and the story. So it actually revolves quite heavily around <laughs> cuisine, I'd say. Right. So some of the, the food my favorite is haroset, which is a mix of apples and cinnamon, some sort of walnuts, a little bit of wine, not too much. Um, <laughs> and so this sort of represents the, the bricks, I believe, the bricks that they used in, as they were slaves in Egypt to build the pyramids and, and work in the desert. So we, we eat this harosa, which is really sweet, really crunchy, apple thing, um, just to remind us of all the hard work and how much they've gone through for us to be here. Let's back up, and do you guys want to tell the story of Passover? Well, we'll do like a quick version of what happened. Most people are familiar with it, I think, if you grew up in like a religious household, you know, uh, you've seen in the Prince of Egypt, or if you yes. watched Rugrats, there is a Passover oh, special, which was well. fantastic. <laughs> um, but yeah, you want to kind of just give a rundown or a quick summary for us? So the story kind of starts that the, the Israelites, who are soon to be the Jewish people, are in Egypt under Pharaoh's control, and they're slaves, and they're working away, building the pyramids, building this land of Egypt for the Pharaoh. And then someone named Moses arrives in a basket, kind of this magical man who is born sort of and taken care of in the Pharaoh's palace, and he thinks he's Egyptian. And one day through many, many things, he realizes he actually is Jewish and God talks to him and says that it is his job to take the Jews or the Israelites at the time, take them out of Egypt and bring them out to the desert and into the Holy Land, which would one day become Israel. And then the plagues come in. I'm forgetting the context of that. You got it. So Moses says to Pharaoh, let our people go, which is like kind of the, the term we hear a lot around Passover. And Pharaoh says, no, they are our slaves. We're not letting them go. And Moses says, all right, like God's going to come down on you. You are uncool check this out and in a series of 10 plagues that god brings down on the egyptian people pharaoh finally lets the the jews go so those are plagues like frogs falling out of the sky there's lice there's locusts and the final one is the the death of the firstborn son and with this pharaoh has his son who ends up dying and pharaoh says okay fine just leave so everyone quickly packs up, is running out of Egypt, and then Pharaoh actually changes his mind, chases the Jews to the, the water, and there's this big ocean in front of them and they can't escape. So God again parts the seas and all the Jews are able to walk through. Once they're safe on the other side, God closes the water and all the Egyptians and Pharaoh drowns. And then they're on the other side and they're super happy. And that's the main part of Passover that we remember is their struggle out of the land of Egypt and their new great history that's about to begin. In, in, in a nutshell. <laughs> Beautiful. Danielle, you can confirm that. That confirmed confirm. all of it 100%. true. 100%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, like, for the Passover, it's like a very, it's like an experience, right? Because it surrounds this dinner, and it's supposed to, like, put you, like, make you think about this history and this story which is like very unique, you know? So do you guys want to talk about more about the Seder and um, some of the traditions and stuff? And uh, just like, 
if you were gonna have someone over, how would you prepare them, I guess, for a Seder? Like, if I were to have someone <laughs> over for my family Seder, I think I would have to do some ex extensive preparation. Um, my family brings out this like huge box of Passover plagues that like so. To back up a bit, the uh, book that we read from on in the Seder is called the Haggadah, and that tells the story that Nicole just recapped for us so beautifully and goes through all the plagues and everything that happened. And so my family like lugs out this huge thing and we throw like plastic frogs on the table <laughs> and wine is thrown everywhere and there are locusts and we imitate storms and it's all very theatrical and a lot of chance for the kids to have a good old time. So there's a lot of props and a lot of things to illustrate that that wild story. Do you have the same? Did you do the same yeah, thing? So we have less props and actually we have just a lot of food. And even so, we have the seder plate, and then we have again the same food usually on our own plate. So the seder plate again is these different foods that symbolize sort of the the journey out of Egypt. So like I said, it has the haroset, which are the bricks. It has some salt water on it, which are supposed to be the tears of the the Jews that got out. There's parsley. Why is there parsley? You're supposed to dunk the parsley in the salt water for a reason. Oh, to represent spring, I want to say. Maybe. Which also is spring and and birth and the new coming as the life cycle. Starting their own life. Um, there's a shank bone on there which is always a weird one because it's just a bone that you don't eat. Um, <laughs> but it's, again, to show, like, their strength, their bravery. Horseradish. Horseradish. To represent the bitterness, bitterness. of the journey. We're and, definitely forgetting something. And I, that may be all of them. And then there's the matzah again. So that's the, the unleavened bread. And during this time, people will buy boxes of matzah. <laughs> all the supermarkets will, like, bring them out in, in the Jewish sections. And... We'll end up eating matzah for a few months after Passover. And you can do all sorts of things with matzah. Um, <laughs> you can do like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, <laughs> but our favorite is matzah brai, which is kind of like you make eggs, but with the matzah. So it's like, it's like, an like a French toast-ish, yeah. but with matzah and it's delicious. It's the only thing my dad makes during the year. It's like his staple. <laughs> so <laughs> matzah brai is a fan favorite, I would say. How do you make it? You. My dad makes it so in all of you. I believe so. You like you make up the eggs and the milk mm -hmm. and the vanilla and then you crumple, crumple, crumble, 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 <laughs> little pieces which are like these big pieces of bread sort of that are flat, and you just put that in there and then cook it on the oven like you would like French toast, but it's like crunchy, and always reminds me of Passover and you when I'm eating it. Some people choose to eat matzah year-round. Those people are... We, we're not sure about that. <laughs> Questionable humans. Yeah. Yeah, matzah, for sure. Because the matzah is, like, itself plain. It's, yes, it's, it tastes it's like a little cardboard. Akin to cardboard, one could <laughs> call it. It's a great base. For <laughs> yeah, you could really... I, I've yet to find one thing. It's not good on the yeah. top of it. Yeah. <laughs> Just a clean palate. Yeah, exactly. No, you got it. <laughs> All right, so you want to talk about more some of the things you do during the seders? In my Haggadah, there are many a poem. It's a very familial thing, so in my family, as I'm sure most families, we 
read out of it and there are a lot of Hebrew parts and a lot of English parts and we go around the table and I actually have a few non-Jewish family members who get really into it because it's a really interactive, fun story. And um, so there's prayers, there are blocks of text, there are challenges in the Haggadah to bring you to like modern day, to like think about Passover as it was told and then modern day, applying it to modern day. And then there's this one poem that I distinctly remember my dad always landing on this poem and always having to read it in this theatrical voice and it goes, my love is like a gazelle leaping over the mountains. And we have no idea how it relates to Passover, but there's that awful line in it every time that's like the staple of my Passover Seder. But I'm sure you don't have the same experience. Yeah. <laughs> is it definitely more like kid friendly because so it's a lot of the storytelling and then a lot of songs with it. And there's a few songs that everyone has a different line. And there's one song that it gets like repeatedly faster. So it's always a competition who can say the, their, their line the fastest and then the entire song the fastest. And it's just sort of like this running tradition of who does it fastest. And it's just funny and playful. And it's nothing like sitting in temple where you're hearing things. It really is this family day centered around the stories and around the food and it's just really fun it's a good one i remember reading about the afikoman <laughs> um my mom gave me a book about palace silver like as a kid and i read it and i was like hey we don't do this part of it and i was like sounds like i get something if i find this cracker and so she was like oh you're right. <laughs> you guys want to explain that a little bit? Yeah, so I have two big traditions around this. The, the idea of the afikoman is that you hide a piece of matzah throughout your house. I don't know where it comes from, the tradition. It's... I, You're supposed I to split know. it in half. You split it in half. You take, you take the matzah that's on the Seder plate, you right. cover it, and then you split half of it. So it's got to be something with that. Something, we should definitely learn that about up. that. So, <laughs> but, so whoever is kind of leading the, the Seder will hide the matzah, the afikoman at some point when no one's really looking. And so one of my traditions is whoever finds it gets a prize, but then all of us will still get a prize, <laughs> which is really nice. Um, it's typically a flashlight is a good one. <laughs> to help you find it next year. Right. And great, great little, just little trinkets. And... With my other side of the family, we used to sell our afikoman. So you'd find the piece of matzah and give it to the adults in the house and say, "Can I like I will? You have to buy my afikoman, and they'll give us money for this tiny piece of matzah." And it's it's so wrong, but it's just really funny. It's always okay, something we like we know we're looking forward to at the end of the seder. Capitalism, Capitalism. so young, right, right. starting them so young. Wow. <laughs> That's wild. We do not sell our afikoman, <laughs> but I remember when I was really young, my uncle used to always tell me where it was right before I went to go find it. <laughs> I was the favored one. <laughs> Don't air that. <laughs> hey, I really want to see where that this tradition comes from, so I'm going to Google yeah. it. There's so many things that at one point I knew why we... Uh, the custom is based on the statement in the Talmud, we snatch matzahs in the night of on the night of Passover in order that the children should not fall asleep. In other words, the game of hiding the afikoman and the company bargaining for a gift is an activity to engage the kids. <laughs> it's, it was invented to engage the kids, it sounds like. I'm not surprised they didn't tell us that. Sure that. They don't fall asleep during what is invariably a long evening.
yeah, it is very common. I know a lot of my uh, more religious, conservative Jewish friends have seders that will last until four in the morning, or orthodoxy is very popular in doing that. They have seders that will la that just keep going and going and going, <laughs> and you do not eat until you get through the entire chapter of Exodus. I like love how they really do incorporate things to keep everyone interested. Like they have the four questions, right? The four questions are the questions that we <laughs> typically. It's the youngest kid will sing it. In my family, we just all had. We were all forced to stand up and sing it. <laughs> our, our youngest person in the family was the one forced to sing it. Just alone. Just alone. <laughs> that's, that's rude. <laughs> so yeah, we were all in it together. Um, but so it's a it's a prayer song type thing. And it's basically, why is this night different from all other nights? And it goes through the rare customs of Passover. So I don't remember what the first one, I don't remember the order, but it's why do we recline rather than sit? Why do we eat um, unleavened bread rather than leavened bread? What are the other ones? I, I prepped could, and did research. <laughs> I could tell you the Hebrew translation of it, but I don't know what it actually means. So what I have is why we dip our food twice and why only bitter herbs. Oh, sounds right. Sounds right. <laughs> I, I can recall before, yeah. Is there anything else about Passover you guys want to talk about? What are you planning to do this year for Passover? This year we will probably both be in Seattle. Um, I think Passover is a little, oh, it's the last weekend in March. That's when it is. So right after our spring break. And Hillel, the, the student life organization on campus, will be having a Seder. So they'll really do what any traditional Seder. They'll have big tables for all of us and go through the story, have all the traditional foods. And it'll, we were there last year, and it's a great chance to instead of have that same familial idea, but do it with our friends here in college. And one of the really cool things about Passover is, as you could just see from mine and Nicole's very different stories, is that <laughs> every family has their really weird, quirky traditions. So the uh, leader of our Seder really likes to talk about her own family traditions <laughs> and urge all of us to talk about our own. So you can really see like how differently you celebrate Passover from Seattle to LA to conservative to reform Jewish and there are a lot of funny customs that I've come in contact with just by doing Passover at a different table uh, the past two years I've been in college so that's really fun. Is this Halal Passover open for people who are interested? Oh yeah. Yes definitely so there will be some registration online at halalredub.com maybe there's a Facebook page. <laughs> there's, a Facebook group. There's, there's a Facebook page. And yes, it's open for anyone at UW, and it's really a great chance to, again, try these foods is a big thing, hear the story, and be surrounded by people. Yeah, Hillel is really great at integrating in people who have no idea what any of the Jewish customs are and really making them feel at home. I have a lot of my non-Jewish friends really enjoy going to Hillel. I'll be sure to include a link once we find that link, uh, to find out more about that event when this podcast is released, so you too can experience Passover. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, what are you guys' favorite dishes? With like, What is your favorite Passover dish food? I would have to probably, again, say the haroset. Okay. And it is best, again, on top of the matzah, so you make, like, these little sandwiches is, is a part of the Seder that you're instructed to do that. 
which is always super cool because before you eat, you you have to make the sandwich. Like you have to do it in the middle. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, fine, I'll eat. It's fine. And we make these sandwiches, and it's just really good. And it's something that I don't think I've ever had not on Passover. I don't know why I can't just make it, but <laughs> it's just it's something about eating it on Passover in like the same table you've always celebrated Passover at and eating that again. So definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, I'd say my favorite part of food on Passover is just experimenting with my matzah cuisine because you can really do anything and you get so inventive and you get in this groove. Like I remember being in elementary school and I went to a secular public school and my mom would send me every day with peanut butter and jelly on matzah and everyone would want to try it and you would get really inventive and put weird things on it and it's just like a fun thing that separates one week out of the year from all the rest and it's, it's awesome. Do you guys help out with the preparation of the food at all? I, I've been known to cut some apples for Harosit, um, but I wouldn't call myself a main a main maker of the Passover meal. <laughs> I a lot with the, the leading of the services and kind of creating them, which has been really fun. So again, I can like choose kind of like where the food is a little bit. But not cooking. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Leave it, leave it to, you know, the others who are willing to do their hearts into it. Yeah. Let's see. Let's talk about general Jewish cuisine then. Let's open it up. Um, I'm sure, or you... you, you no, ask your question. Okay. I was just going to say, I mean, there's some obvious foods that are known to, like, be Jewish, like bagels and uh, locks and vodkas and matzo balls. You guys want to kind of just dive into sort of those like more popular ones and then maybe talk about the not as well like known or popular ones? Yeah, I think growing up I just thought it was normal to eat the quantity of bagels that my family and Jewish friends ate. And then I really realized that no, it's it's not. Like you should be eating a lot less bagels than, than an, an, a Jewish individual does. Uh, but there is something special about getting around for the meal after a Shabbat um, morning service is called an oneg, at least in my synagogue. And there's something really special about getting together with a bunch of Jews after praying your heart out and eating bagels with lox, uh, smoked salmon, which I thought I hated for the first 15 years of my life. Um, and I did fi find love with bagels and cream cheese and lox. But yeah, bagels are a staple. The other day I heard someone say something so funny. They were like, Oh, and you totally bageled him. And the verb to bagel mean, meant to show that you're Jewish to someone. <laughs> and I thought it was the funniest, but also most right thing I'd ever heard. But bagels, definitely. Um, I think for me, the, the Jewish foods are the ones that my family, specifically my grandma, could always just cook perfectly. And even, like, even bagels and cream cheese at my grandparents' house would like be the best somehow because... It's the whole idea of Jewish food that it's cooked like with care and with intention. So my grandma would always have the best matzo ball soup that we think we could replicate, but we cannot. Mm -hmm. And the best latkes, the best harosa, best matzo brai. So it, were, it was just eating that food that my grandma prepared that if it was any sort of like more American food, it wasn't as special. But when she like cooked these more Jewish foods, it it really felt more like a family sort of meal. Yeah, you hear a lot in 
I guess it's a normal thing to say, but I have mostly heard a lot of my Jewish friends be like, I will only eat my grandmother's blank. <laughs> um, and I know that's common across a lot of cultures, but I know people who are like, I will only eat my grandmother's matzo balls. They are the only one. <laughs> we get really particular and weird and possessive about that, but wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> Do you guys know, like, why, I don't know, the history, I guess, the origin of bagels and oh my Jews? God. Like, I, it suddenly struck me that this is probably something I should have looked up in my research yesterday. Because they, they, you know, they're so, like, intertwined. It's like... I want to say that bagels are synonymous with New York. Right. Mm-hmm. And New, New York is synonymous with Judaism. <laughs> <laughs> and that could be a connection there. But maybe we could look it We're up. We're going to look it up. <laughs> It just says Poland, and that's where all the Jews came from, so that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, it says it originated from the Jewish communities of Poland. I'm going to guess that they brought it over then to New York with them, right? (laughs) Jews and their bagels. Yes, so now two great things have been from Poland. My family and bagels. Have you guys been to New York then and had bagels? Are they distinctly different they than? They are very good. They're definitely very fresh. They're great. But honestly, bagels at any kind of local deli are so good. There's not a lot of delis in Seattle, but LA, every corner, <laughs> is, there are delis. So that's where you get like the great bagels, some all soup, eggs at any time of the day. Um, yeah, they're, they're great bagels. But I will never frown upon a good Einstein's bro bagel. I really think that they are great bagels. They, they're good. They're, they're good. not they Noah's. They're not they're Noah's not bagels. Noah's. I heard recently that Noah's was bought out by Einstein bros in Seattle. I don't know. But apparently Noah's was run out of town here, which is an unfortunate incident. Uh, but we have Noah's at home, and that's, that's where my synagogue likes to get their bagels. You mentioned there's not a lot of delis. Um, around the Seattle area, but uh, can you name maybe a couple that are all right? There's we we found one one time <laughs> Roxy's, Roxy's in Wallingford area, Fremont. Fremont, yeah, I've thing? been there. I don't know. You've um, been to Roxy's? Yeah, it's, it's a good, good time. Yeah, it's great. It doesn't yeah. feel Jewish, but the menu's Jewish. The menu's definitely <laughs> Jewish. I did get matzah right there. What'd you get? Hash browns of sorts, probably something. Yeah, something. No, they have, Roxy's has really good tater tots. Oh, that's what it was. But what did I get with the tater tots? What did you get when you went to Roxy's? I got the latkes. That's what I got. I got latkes. (laughs) Maybe? I don't know. I got something. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. But it's not like a Jewish, like the really busy Jewish deli. Like a diner, like an old school diner. Yeah. Not as like old people diner yeah <laughs> like like my like, jewish diners yeah like, like the schmelmans yeah <laughs> what are your go-to delis then at home when you're home mork's deli it's it's right by my house in in the city of tarzana we typically take out for mort's because it's almost a little sad to eat in there but, but the food is so good and i'll still i'll still go bunch with my mom um it's great tuna Great rye bread. You just buy some for your Sunday lunch. <laughs> Maybe I've missed them, but in the Bay Area, we don't have the deli culture. Um, we we just go for Noah's. But 
But yeah, Ooh, maybe. Jerry's Deli is a great one. Yeah, we don't we don't have these things. <laughs> I'll have to make a trip to Tarzana, <laughs> Southern <laughs> California. <laughs> we my family usually goes to Palm Springs for the holidays, and so there they have Sherman's, which is a deli. It's super good. It sounds great. Yeah, it's it's like it's always busy and packed, and you're in and out very quickly. Yeah. And their serving sizes are huge, huge. so it's great. It's great. <laughs> have you guys seen the New Girl episode when? Schmidt's mom. <laughs> have you seen it? I'm not sure do which you watch one. Yeah, I Where do. Schmidt's mom takes takes him, or like, like Schmidt goes back to Long Island, <laughs> and they're like, "You have to get the soup from this one deli," and they like everyone screams at Jess, and she's just like this goy, and she like doesn't know what to do. <laughs> do we remember it? No. Okay. <laughs> I haven't seen that episode. I'll have to watch it though, but. I, I do watch New Girl on Schmidt. <laughs> it's is, a good one. Is a favorite character. Definitely. Yeah, Schmidt is a good epitome of the Jewish man. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a spec script for New Girl where the storyline was uh, Schmidt goes to the local JCC and gets himself in a dreidel competition with like all of these elderly men, and I thought it was hilarious. But, uh, <laughs> I never finished it. But I would really like to read that. I'm not lying. I would love to read that someday. Yeah, he gets in there and then he enters Nick because Schmidt gets like got like banned from the tournament <laughs> and he wants to be his arch nemesis. So that's so good. It's possible. <laughs> um, okay, so you guys want to talk more about other Jewish food? Maybe some. Not as popular ones, or we could keep going with the popular ones. Nicole's a really big fan of Kugel. 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 Yeah, so <laughs> I love Kugel. You may know it as like a noodle egg, thing, but it's not a noodle pudding. It's better. It <laughs> is actually, it's just like a noodle. Pudding. <laughs> it is sort of like pasta noodles mixed with. I want to say there's egg in I there. I want to say there's egg, cinnamon, sometimes raisins, typically not. And it's like a cakey, but it's it's the meal. It's, it's my main course for sure. It's so good. I read once that the noodles are intertwined to, to create unity and <laughs> this respect for Judaism and people. It was so beautiful. And that is how I feel when I eat this kugel. Like you said, like food really means that much. So when I'm eating eating this kugel now that we typically have on the holidays, kind of any Jewish holiday, but I'll always ask my mom when I come home from school to make me kugel. She doesn't know why. I just love it, and it creates unity. I'm not a kugel fan. I, I could tell over the laugh. Yeah, I just, I don't. I, I frankly think it's not good. Wrong. And I'm not a picky eater. She's not. Nicole is a picky eater, <laughs> so I don't know what the deal is. I think we should start polling Jews on Kugel preferences because I can take like a savory Kugel every now and then. Hillel Udub actually does do a great savory Kugel. And a great sweet one too. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there there's some controversial feelings on on Kugel. Uh, what else? Well, there's challah, um, mm-hmm. which we have. Traditionally on Shabbat on Friday nights and and Saturday mornings. Should we talk about the women's march? Oh. What happened at the women's march with the with the challah? Yeah, it's <laughs> that exciting everyone. But um, <laughs> we we went to the women's march 
back in back in January, and one of our friends, Abby, was just like, "Oh yeah, here's my challah from Shabbat. Like, you guys want some?" And it was it wasn't like she pulled out like fruit or like a bar. Like her snack for us was challah, and it like didn't really phase us. It was, it was like we the ultimate so Jewish happy mother to move. Have it anytime. It's so good. It's fluffy and yummy. You I can also make French toast with it. Similar to our, our matzo bread, but challah French toast. Uh, yeah. It's so good. It's it's the kind of food that you can't just have, like, one piece of it. I like to hear what non-Jews like to call challah, too. I think that's always a funny thing, like, that Jew bread the, people the, like to refer to. The, 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 the braided the bread. 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 I, we've all heard some funny names for that is not challah. It's like, well, that's, like, a not even a hard word, though, too, is what's funny. Hard. It's really not really not <laughs> that jew bread <laughs> that jew bread <laughs> yeah hall is good i'm trying to think of what else what about one of the more controversial ones with the gefilte fish gefilte fish. fish so i like gefilte fish in like a bite of gefilte okay, fish okay describe what it is though what for people who are not fish. familiar gefilte fish is the food that my grandma usually serves as a little appetizer on jewish holidays it's like a fish, it comes in like a little chunk and it's like gray. It's so not appealing. It is just like a fish of sorts, but it looks it, like a sponge. It's spongy. It, it definitely it, tastes spongy. It, it kind of, it's almost like sour, but it's kind of good. It's, it's kind it's of kind good. Of like, a, like a cleanser, like before you have your meal, you 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 eat the the gefilte fish appetizer. It's it, definitely a thing that like the little kids won't eat. Um, and there's always a really disgusting circular carrot on top of oh, it that you just must just eat. It's it's the grossest, best thing you'll ever eat. Grandma's... I, I have a personal belief that gefilte fish may be getting phased out because if our grandmothers are the last generation making it, I mean, my mom never makes it. So we may just stand, stand against gefilte fish in the future. I, I won't ever make gefilte fish for my family. <laughs> Of the tradition of it, that you you always expect to see gefilte fish there before the meal on a Jewish holiday. That's a good point. point. (laughs) Have you ever had gefilte fish? No, I have not. Count yourself lucky. I've never seen it anywhere else. (laughs) Yeah. You've never seen it on a menu. You've never seen it on a menu. Maybe at Mort's Deli. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I think that there are very different custom, food customs, especially on the East Coast. Like, there's... People really like fit, like white fish is a big Jewish thing, I want to say, and roast beef? Never mind. Brisket? Ooh, brisket. That's also a controversy. I I can't do brisket. <laughs> if you, you just, you have that bad brisket one time and you just can't eat it again. It's just... Thoughts. Yeah, brisket is like, like brisket. is it beef? It's, it's What beef. meat is it? Pretty, pretty sure it's beef. Yeah, so Hillel, the Jewish Center for Jewish Life on campus, uh, had this one Shabbat where they always advertise what food they're going to have on Shabbat and really try to rally people around the food to be able to come. Yeah. And one night they just made all of this buzz about brisket. And I was like, brisket is not what's bringing me to this Shabbat. Like, it's the community. It's and the <laughs> It's the community and the challah. And everyone was just like, did you hear? It's brisket night. Like, two weeks out, like, people are just won't stop talking about the brisket. And personally, like, it's fine. It's a meat. It's a, it's a, it's a main dish. 
my mom makes nice brisket but yeah and then I went home a few weeks after and my mom had made brisket and she was like I saved some brisket for you like I, I made it special for the holiday and I don't know what the big deal about it is but I wouldn't call brisket like the shining jewel of Jewish cuisine some people might they're wrong I'd rather get filled to fish than brisket yeah, me too. Would you Would you rather? Rather, <laughs> Want to talk about some desserts, some sweets? Yeah, there's rugelach, which we love. Uh, cookie, it's like a, like filled a cookie. Chocolate chip, cinnamon, kind of like a swirl. In Israel, they they'll like in Jerusalem and uh, the holy city, they'll sell like just pieces of hot rugelach out the oven, just like lined up, and you just put a bunch in a box and. It's really, really so good. When I lived in Israel for a few weeks, it would just always be out in like my host family's kitchen for every meal, like breakfast to start with, and it's really sweet. But that'll be like breakfast, lunch, really and dinner. It's just, <laughs> it's just always around. It's so good. It's good. That's also a grandmotherly thing. Awesome. I've never made brugelach. Oh, on Passover, there are a selection of disgusting desserts for you to choose from. I personally think it's funny. My, did your synagogue have this? My synagogue had like a Passover dessert, like sale, and we would all we would sell these like special for Passover dessert things, and they would be like fruit wedges and lolly cones, which were just chocolate on stick, and everything <laughs> didn't have whatever ingredients, the wheat and the everything that you're not supposed to have on Passover. It was like. This is how the Jews can't go for one week without like excessive amounts of dessert. But that there's a market for that. Wedges are like they look like they look like a like a slice of or of an orange in different colors, and it's just it's not gelatin because that's not kosher. But it's some sort of like <laughs> the, what is it? That's concerning. It's some sort of like, <laughs> like, like gooey tree that. Like Danielle said, they give out like after services or at like Hebrew school or day school. They threw those discs at us mm-hmm. um, after we finished our bat mitzvah yes. service. So they, yeah. What are their desserts? A lot of yeah. families from Eastern Europe, like mine, would do like apple tart mm-hmm. and apple cake and a lot of fruit cake. I think there's a lot of things that aren't expressly Jewish but just are very like Eastern European or just customary that we that we've made into our Jewish meals. Oh, on Hanukkah there are sufganiyot, which are donuts, jelly-filled donuts, and that's fun. I feel like we're missing a glaring dessert here. Oh. oh. What are you <laughs> Zucchini bread is a Jewish thing. I I was going to say homentashins. Mm. So that's for Purim. Um which is in which was in February, I believe, and those are little like those triangle doughy filled with jelly filled or chocolate filled little treats for them, which are like cookies. They're really good. Oh, macaroons, macaroons on Passover because you can't eat uh, bread, so that's coconut. Just Hanukkah cookies. <laughs> it says one of the ones on the list are miscellaneous dry <laughs> deli cookies. <laughs> They all taste the same. They're always very, very old, and I always eat them anyway. It's It's a caption. (laughs) so true. Is there anything else you want to touch on about uh, Jewish food? (laughs) I feel like I'm going to leave, and I'm going to remember all of the things that I know about Jewish food. (laughs) No. Okay, well, then, 
I like to end each episode by asking my guests um, their favorite food memory. So a memory that has to deal with food, any type of food, that just makes them extremely happy. I got I just, <laughs> just started laughing too. You go. Uh, this is a good one. <laughs> this is so good. I can't remember how many years ago this was. I mean, I was still in high school, so whatever, four years ago maybe. Um, <laughs> when we... <laughs> During the Passover Seder, when when we hid this, hid the afikoman, like we were talking about, <laughs> my older sister found the afikoman during during the meal when we were eating. When you weren't supposed to like just to look after, right, to like keep the kids sitting at the table, but we could not do that. So my sister found the afikoman and placed it under the chair of this guest, Leon. And Leon was one of my one of my grandparents' like older friends, you know, just the guy that you see at a Passover every year. So we put the afikoman under Leon's chair, and we finish dinner. And my grandpa finally says, "Okay, it's time to find the afikoman." So we get up, we're pretending to look, and we're like, "Grandpa, like the afikoman's gone. Like, where is it?" And he says, "I hid it." And my sister goes, "I think, I think we should all check under our chairs." <laughs> Like someone must have stolen the Afikoman. We look under the chairs. Leon, 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 and so now the tradition goes like Leon stole the Afikoman. We're always convinced it's Leon. That's so good. Um, my memory isn't even Jewish, but I remember when I was a kid, having dessert after dinner was like this very important, like monumental thing. You know, like they were like, today we're gonna have dessert, and having our own individual cups of pudding was even a bigger event. So my sister at like the age of four did not have the capacity to eat pudding. She would just smear it on her cheeks and she would say like, I'm a pudding man. And I just have this distinct memory of my parents, like with no fail, they just continually gave us pudding, but it never, none of it ever ended up getting into her mouth. So I just remember like her saying, I'm the pudding man and me eating my cup of pudding. And I'll never forget that. <laughs> Good food memory. Well, well, thanks, guys, for being on my show today. And, thank uh, you. Thank you for having us. Thanks. This was fun. Of course, yeah. Thank you for I'm telling us now. all about Passover. Yeah. <laughs> After a Jewish deli opens up in Seattle oh, anytime soon. We should start with yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our, <laughs> our we'll little Jewish deli. Our <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little pop up shop. Pop up. <laughs> In the hub, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pop up deli. Oh my god. We have to start it. We have to start an RSO. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show once again. Thank you for listening. New episodes are every Wednesday right here on the Soundbite Network. I'm Aiden Walker. And I'm Blake Peterson. Together, we host a podcast called Cinema Adventure, where we discuss movies with important guests, talk about their favorite movies, and recommend movies that you may have never heard of before. So join us every other Monday on the Soundbite Network so we can film you in. Uh, Wasn't that good? It was really good. It's a good pun, isn't it?
the Seattle Seahawks have the best offensive line in NFL history. Kyle Seeger is the better Seeger brother. Markel Fultz is the best player on the Sixers. Hashtag trust the process. Okay, we don't actually believe any of these things. But if you want to hear our thoughts on topics like these, tune into the Boxing Podcast with Chris Ankiko, Alec Dietz, and Andy Amashta every Friday on the Soundbite Network. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.